Welcome to the show. This is Recover Like a Mother. I'm so glad you're here. My name is Lane Kennedy, and this show is inspired by recovery and living a calm life. If you're missing out on living a calm life, if you're in recovery and you're looking for answers, I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for being here. Now let's get into today's episode. I know that we met over on Clubhouse as I've met many a sober people, persons. And one of the things that I loved about you is just your enthusiasm for sobriety and your accent. Just love it. Have you found Clubhouse to be beneficial? Yeah, I'm getting into it. It's taken a while. Yes, we, we've got our own little room now. We, we meet at 5 p.m. South African time every Sunday. We call our, our room Sober Secrets. It's usually people in Tribe Sober, but we're, we're getting a few other people joining us, which is, is really nice. So it's a way to broaden our community a little bit. And I drop in and now various rooms and I've met a couple of people that I've done a podcast with. So yeah, I think it's a nice way to network. Are you by nature a networker? Yeah, I guess I am. I had a long corporate career and it was, it was part of that. Probably one of the reasons I started drinking too much. I love that. I'm Janet Boron. I'm the founder of Tribe Sober and you're listening to Recover Like a Mother. Welcome. Really good to be with you today. If you're new to the show, I just want to take a moment and say thank you for finding Recover Like a Mother. My name is Lane Kennedy, and this is going to be a really juicy episode. We're talking to Janet Garan, and she is the founding member of Tribe Sober. Uh, She's also a mother in recovery. Coming into your earbuds from South Africa, she has the delightful British accent, and this is going to be a great conversation. I'm really curious about her story and what she's passionate about and how she recovered. So Janet, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you, Lane. It's lovely to meet you properly. We've we've flirted on Clubhouse, haven't we? (laughs) But this is our first proper conversation. Correct. I love that, you know, Clubhouse is this space where we can meet so many people and in particular, those in recovery have really blossomed in that arena. Have you found that to be a good place to meet other sober people? Yeah, I mean, I was doing a, a podcast interview this week, actually, with someone called Justin, Justin Lamb. I think he comes to your room. I'm not sure. But uh, anyway, we met on Clubhouse and, and part of our conversation was, was just about how amazing Clubhouse is, is being for, for people in, in sobriety and people that want to recover. Because you, as you know, you can listen in there, you don't have to say anything. But we were saying it's a bit like being able to go to a meeting or a networking event for sober people and just eavesdropping without actually being there. And for some people at the beginning of this journey, they're, they're so worried and anxious and they just can't imagine what it's like. So I think it's a great opportunity. And I think, you know, some people will begin on this journey because of Clubhouse, which is beautiful. I absolutely agree with you. Clubhouse is such a great tool to just listen and to be 100% anonymous, right? Like nobody sees you, nobody hears you. You can change your icon. So nobody sees a picture of you. It is really such, uh, it's mind blowing to me that people are actually 
able to show up and get sober. I'm one of the admin for the sobriety house and we've had members now get sober and stay sober for six or six plus months. And we're just cheering them on. And it just shows me that there are so many pathways to recovery and that there we're not stuck in one pathway and or traditional, I'll call it that in a traditional way of getting sober. How did you find recovery? I found recovery. Well, I I searched for a way to find recovery. I think if Clubhouse had existed then six years ago, it it probably would have suited me quite nicely. But I trotted along to AA because I had no idea what else to do. And I just couldn't find my people there, really. I I went to several different groups, but um, my, my issue was I was drinking a bottle of wine every evening. When I went out, I would have more. Sometimes I would black out. I'd have a bit more at the weekend. So I definitely needed to, to make a change. But the meetings that I went to at AA, the, the people there seemed to be further down the line than me. And maybe it was just the meetings I went to, but there were people that, had, that were drinking in the morning and they kind of lost everything. And And you know how being an alcoholic has got a kind of stigma still, you know, we think, oh, an alcoholic must be that homeless person, you know, with his bottle of scotch. It just, it just didn't kind of fit because I ended up hearing these stories and I thought, well, I'm I'm not really like that yet. You know, I was probably on my way, but I thought I'm I'm not really like them. So maybe I'm not an alcoholic. So in a way it was a little bit counterproductive. For me, so I went away feeling a little bit lost, and and then carried on drinking. And but I knew I had to do something, so I I was looking, searching on the internet, and eventually I found just a one-day workshop in London, which is where I was from. So I went to this workshop, and the workshop itself was nothing special. It was run by a nurse actually, and she spent most of the day kind of reading out her notes to us, all the terrible things that alcohol does to you. You know, it was was a bit tedious, although it was a shock. I didn't realize quite how bad it was. But the the magical thing there was I found my people. It was all women, actually, coincidentally. And they were all people, you know, with good jobs, nice families, knocking back a bottle of wine every evening to deal usually with their stress from from the jobs. It was great, you know, numbers. And I I stopped feeling so alone because, you know, I didn't fit in AA and I didn't really fit with my some of my friends who would just have one glass of wine and, and wonder why I had to go on and have six. So I, I, I just found my people and that was lovely. And we swapped numbers. I managed to get sober. I, I implemented some of the tips that we've been given on the workshop. I also did, I love to write. So I started a blog on the day that I stopped drinking. And I managed, you know, about six months. And then I, I returned to South Africa. I decided that with my background in training and development, because I was an HR director, I mean, that was my job. So I decided to design my own workshop, which would be better than the one that I went to because I wanted it to be very participative and people would share. We'd have, you know, we'd talk about behavioral change and mindset, etc. So I did that. I designed my own workshop and I organized it and it was sold out. And then I ran another one. So I, I ran about 20 workshops, I think, in two years, and they just, you know, really took off. 
But then people kept saying to me, you know, we need to keep in touch because they were keeping in touch with each other, but they wanted more kind of from me, you know, a bit more training and a bit more input. So that's when I decided to set up a a membership because as I see it now with hindsight, we we cover the the theory in the workshop, but then with our membership, because, you know, we talk all day long, we can help people to implement what they've learned and help them to stay on track. So that's how Tribes Over was born. It's been going five years now. Which is a long time. Congratulations. Yeah, but what, I, what, I, what I'm taking from this is that you found your people. Yeah. And I think that's really, really important as you know, mothers in recovery. A lot of time, there's a lot of isolation. And yeah. even in recovery, right? We get sober and there's still isolation. So that key, you, you, you've said it several times, like you found your people the community you wanted to guide others you wanted to really not only make the behavioral changes but you wanted to support others afterwards so when i hear this i think about the traditional 12 program Mm -hmm. which is exactly that model there were a set of principles they created service and then Mm -hmm. opportunities to connect so tribe sober sounds something very similar to that basic model, which is brilliant. And it's working like five years is a good amount of time. And you've had 20 plus, how many workshops have you done over the last five years? Hundreds? About 60 now, but we've had hundreds of people through and and a good proportion of those have got sober. Yeah. And what's lovely is a lot of the people that are in our community, once they're sober, I was expecting them to kind of drift off into Uh the sunset say oh you have to stay but they they seem to keep hanging around so then I I set up this system called sober buddies which I guess is like the sponsor in in a so they they're not trained coaches or counselors but what they are is people that want to help other people to get sober and they're prepared to offer that accountability and a bit of one-to-one support so we've got a whole cluster of sober buddies now and people that are struggling. We don't give everybody a sober buddy, but those people that are struggling that can't seem to, to make it, can't seem to get started, we, we pair them up with a sober buddy and that, that really works well. I think this is such a, I mean, there's so many, again, the recovery space has opened up so much now and having a program, having a a sober buddy, a companion, it's fundamental. It's foundational to long-term recovery. And here you are, you know, six years into your journey. And what are the, what are the struggles that you face now? Because they're going to be different than they were, you know, two years Mm. ago, three years ago, Mm. six years ago when you were drinking a bottle of wine every night. So what are some of those struggles that you face now? And how are you seeking the help and support that you need to get through? Yeah, well, I certainly don't struggle with drinking anymore. I I think about alcohol all day long, but I'm talking to other people and helping them. Right. And I don't think the drinking is the problem anymore, right? We're sober a while and it's not about the drinking anymore. I don't think about drinking. It doesn't even hit me. Like that's Mm. not the option. But there are a lot of other things that come into my path that are struggling. So that's what I want to have you share or what are some of the struggles that you're going through now, six years into your journey, because a lot of the mothers that listen are at various stages. So there's a reflection point. Yes, yes, yeah. 
Oh, that's a that's a difficult question, Lane. I mean, like like any woman, any mother, you know, life is is full of ups and downs. Uh, but I, I think I was expecting it to be. I certainly didn't believe that everything would be perfect when I got sober. So you know, my life continues, and sometimes it's good, and sometimes it's not so good. But I, I've come to accept that. And one of the things that we teach, you know, our people is is to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And I can do that now because when I was drinking, I couldn't really deal with my emotions. And if I felt depressed, then I would have to open a bottle of bubbling, you know, to cheer myself up. I was always, always, you know, pushing that emotion away. But now I can deal with my emotions. And if I'm depressed, I think, okay, I feel really down today, but, by three days time I'll probably be, be fine again and that happens so I'm much more emotionally mature than I used to be and it's uh, my, my first year of sobriety was, was tough and I went through a, a big patch that we find quite a few people go through of feeling we even give it a name now we call it anhedonia because it's that's the inability to feel any pleasure and I definitely went through that maybe six months in and I had this feeling, oh, is this it? You know, this gray and miserable place, is this going to be my life forever? And, and what have I done? Have I made a terrible mistake? And, and really flat, you know, and I nearly gave up going through that phase because it was so miserable. But I, I just kept plugging on because at that time I was I had this idea of setting up Triumph Sober and I thought, oh, no, I've kind of painted myself into this corner. So I've got to do this now. But uh, I wasn't really thriving in, in my sobriety. But then I came through the other side and that's when the magic seemed to happen for me. I just felt like a different person. We, we now talk about there being a two step journey and I feel there certainly was for me because I had to to get sober I had to quit the drinking and that was maybe took a year for me because I've been drinking for decades but then the second step was was to learn to thrive in my sobriety and that's when you know I started looking after myself more and doing you know the yoga and the exercise and and walking by the ocean and going into nature a lot and just you know, being at peace. And we had a, a nice discussion on Clubhouse actually the other day about do, do we have fun? You know, the question was, what is sober fun? Is it an oxymoron? We said. But, but in fact, we, we came to a conclusion that, that we do have fun, but our fun is, is quite different these days because for me, my fun, you know, was drinking, being out with my girlfriends, just, you know, always, always social. But these days I'm much quieter and I feel I don't feel that I'm having fun so much as I feel a joy, a kind of deep joy, which is so different to the ups and downs. When I was drinking, I was either sky high or deeply depressed. As now I'm much more level and even and I enjoy every day, really, whether it's good or bad. And do you think that has anything to do with just where you're at in your life? And you, you told me before uh, your son is now 40, right? You're retired. Mm -hmm. 
Right. Yes, mine is another story, actually, because when I was in my corporate job, you know, and I was always hectically busy, I used to daydream about my retirement. And I thought, OK, I'm going to move somewhere hot, you know, which I did because I love the sun. And I, I thought I'm going to sit in my garden and do absolutely nothing and drink wine all day long. <laughs> I didn't quite materialize. And that's so far from where you're at. So <laughs> I just I I'm thinking about how you know, as we mature in our age, like our actual Mm. biological age, I know for me, things have just slowed down. Like I've just Mm. become more calm. Mm. I work on it more. Like I like to, I like to just take a walk. You know, I'm like, is that have anything to do with where I'm at in my sobriety or does that have more to do with my age? And so that's what I'm asking you. Do you think, you know, as maturity sets in, it's like, "Mm, I don't know. Or is that like the sober life that you're choosing to live? Yeah, I think it's a combination. I mean, there's a a huge amount of over drinking with older people. And certainly in the UK, I I, I can't speak for America. I don't know the US very well, but I know this country well now and where I'm from. I mean, my generation, we're called the baby boomers. And there's a massive problem, you know, and the hospitals are getting clogged up with all the health issues that people are having. And I got breast cancer at the age of 55, which I'm sure was connected to my decades of, of heavy drinking. So it's, it's a big problem for older people. And uh, I, I interviewed a, a guy, an English uh, psychiatrist who works with these baby boomers, you know, tries to help them to, to drink less. And it, it's really a big problem. So, yeah, I don't think I answered your question there. Did I started that brings up another arena where there is a huge population. Uh, the baby, the boomers are uh, drinking more than ever. Uh, they're in the hospitals, exactly what you just yeah. said. It's yeah. really quite stunning to me. And the only change or the only difference, right. Is that they need to do is stop drinking and their life would be exponentially better and their longevity yeah. would improve and they would yeah. enjoy a walk on the beach, but there they are stuck enslaved yeah. to yeah. the wine or the Because beer. if you drink for decades, like mm-hmm. I did, you know, I think these stats tell us that about 20, 20% of those people that are just drinking regularly, you know, every evening, even if it's only two, three glasses of wine, they're very likely to become dependent. And that's, that's what's happened to, to many, many older people. And they just, and in fact, I, I was certainly there. I just couldn't envisage my life with wine in it. I mean, what would be the point? So uh, a lot of people are in that headspace. There's also... Obviously, there's all the marketing and the fact that every movie you watch, everybody's drinking. But I think far worse for the social, for the older people that have got their social circle well entrenched, everybody drinks. And if you stop, you know, there's such pressure on you to to not do that. What's wrong with you? And you're just so boring. (laughs) Huge pressure. That's it right there. You're so boring. Like, what's wrong with you? You, you Whereas, don't in fact, I always say there's nothing more boring than a drunk. <laughs> I can't take it. I can't take it. So <laughs> your son, obviously he saw you drink. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then he saw you get sober. And how has that changed your relationship? Yeah, well, that, that's a nice story, actually, because he certainly you know, witnessed the drinking as I was, um, as he was growing up, you know, it was never bad enough for, for me to neglect him. You know, he always had everything he needed. But I think 
I probably embarrassed him, shall we say, a lot. I still remember after some parties and things, he'd go, oh, mum, you know, you were a nightmare last night, this kind of thing. So, you know, he'd kind of tease me like that. And I could tell some when he was a teenager, he'd be quite angry sometimes. But anyway, you know, we, we've never talked about it. He never said, oh, why don't you ditch this stuff, mum, or anything like that. But then eventually when I gave up, he was so pleased, you know, and he kept saying to me, I'm so proud of you and I'm so pleased. And I, he said, I never thought you would be able to do it. And certainly not at your, as he so tactfully put it, you know, he just, he said, I thought you'd, you'd drink forever. I thought you'd drink yourself to death. And he, he was thrilled and he does kind of social media. That's his, his job, you know, he's in digital marketing. So he helped me with all the Tribe Sofa stuff. You know, he helped me set up my website and he was just so, so pleased to be involved. So, and I'm actually much closer to him these days because we talk about Facebook advertising and digital marketing and stuff like that. Your life has changed. Yes. Yeah. And that's, I think, one of the subject matters that we don't often hear about is how the relationships change in the family, the dynamics shift. And to have your son say, I didn't think it was possible. I didn't mm -hmm. think you were going to quit. Like, and here you are six years later and you're talking about Facebook ads or yeah, right. Like he's not worried about you. He's not thinking that he's going to find you, you know, in your mess yeah. or get a phone yeah. call. I mean, it's a, it's a horrible way to die. Isn't it must yeah. be one of the worst. Yeah, it truly is. So after you got sober, and, you know, you've had these kind of ups and downs in your life. We all go through them, Janet. Like it's, there's nothing that's perfect. You know, earlier you, you talked about getting comfortable with just being comfortable, comfortable so, with being uncomfortable. Okay. Get that's what it's getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. So I want to just have you share with our mothers, like practical, like how does she do that? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, breathing helps tremendously, you know, doing breathing exercises, going for a walk, reading a book, you know, that because that's that horrible, uncomfortable feeling, it often, uh, in early sobriety, that's when you're really craving and longing for, for a drink. And I think, you know, if we can just put a pause in there, put in think you know let me just get through this time just just do something ha have a list of strategies things that you can do to distract yourself but really you know just and that's what that phrase means really it means just just sit with it because it's it's not going to kill you it will pass everything passes as we know whether it's it's happiness or, or sadness or depression or joy they're all transitory emotions, so so they will pass. Yeah, I know. I was actually interviewing for my podcast a lady the other day that she was a real party animal, you know, big time. For she was still quite young in her mid thirties, big party animal, very social, very independent. You know, travel around the world on her own, this kind of thing. And then she got married and had three children in quick succession and they didn't have much money. And she was literally trapped, you know, at home with these children in a small house and, and she found it incredibly difficult. And just that transition, 
And I think we don't talk about that enough, you know, when we talk about motherhood. I only had one child, so, you know, it was kind of manageable. And, you know, I was able still to, to be relatively independent. But I think, you know, this, this woman's story made me think, what a difficult transition that is from being an independent social woman to then being at home with young children and being isolated and it's it's very difficult that that's when you know she developed a, a serious drinking problem because that was how she coped with it all and i think we i was talking to her about the fact that we don't talk enough about motherhood because motherhood is glamorized as much as alcohol is you know we look at the instagram feed and there's all these beautiful moms with their beautiful children and those of us that are mothers you know you and i we know it motherhood isn't always quite so shiny and glamorous it's it's a really hard job to do so yeah it's the hardest I job think, it's the hardest yeah. job it's yeah, the hardest probably job. the most besides, important one besides running a country i think motherhood is probably the hardest job there is yeah. I just so if you're so running hard. a country you've got lots of other people helping you run this the is country. true yeah and there are so many mothers who find themselves in exactly that position yeah. where the coping skill defaults to a bottle of wine. Mm-hmm. And then the bottle of wine yeah. becomes the sippy cup during the day yeah. into the bottle of wine or two at night. I was just talking to somebody recently and she said, you know, I just, I can't stop. And I, and she goes, I just, I don't even know how to, because it's always with me. Yeah. Yeah. And I, it just, it blows me away that this is where our society is at, that this is yeah. where, this is how we're coping is just yeah. fill up the sippy cup and sit yeah. back and drink a bottle of wine. Rosé all day. Yeah. The glamorization of it is really, it's killing the it's women, the mothers. Yeah. yeah. And so what do we do about that, Janet? What do we do? What do we share? How do we stop this insanity? Yeah. Yeah. I think we have to become activists and start calling out these people. <laughs> We've got a little section on our website. You might you might laugh, but it's called Activist Call. We when we find something you know like that, we just we start calling people out. So we tweet and we write to. We found I think it was last Mother's Day. There was an ad from a, a very big, well-known supermarket here, and the ad said it was about your mum. And it said, less wine, more wine. So the first wine was spelt with an H. So in other words, stop your mother whining, give her a bottle of wine. So we we wrote to this. We've got a lawyer who's in our community and she writes these fantastic stinging letters. We got an apology, you know, so we call people out. And there's a, a magazine called Woman's Health. I think you, you have it in the States. I'm pretty sure it's global. And they're dreadful. You know, they're always publishing articles saying that, you know, red wine is good for your health, that one again, and the champagne diet. And it's absolutely shocking. And and I think that women have been particularly marketed to by the wine industry. I mean, they've, they've just focused so cleverly on making things pretty and making it acceptable. And the mommy juice thing is huge. But it's been around a long time. I mean, my son's 40. And when he was little, I would go to children's parties and the kids would be running around on their sugar high and the mommies would be knocking back the wine. It's always been there, but uh, it's only the last decade, I guess, that the manufacturers have really realized how much, you know, women are drinking. 
and a, a scotch that's come out, a whiskey called Jane Walker. There's Johnny Walker, now there's Jane Walker. And I thought, wow, you know, we're not killing ourselves fast enough with wine. So you want us on the hard stuff now. So it's, it's shocking. And all we can do is, you know, try and, well, obviously be an activist, but also try and work, try and make it, a sobriety still needs a bit of a rebrand, doesn't it? You know, it's, we've got to make sobriety cool. I always say to people, you know, be a rebel instead of a sheep. Everybody drinks. It, it takes courage, it takes confidence to be sober. And that's what, you know, more of us need to do. I'm just dropping in right here to remind you that you deserve to live an epic and amazing life. And if you're not, I want to be the one to support you in overcoming your burnout, eliminating your perfectionism, and any of those ruminating thoughts that keep you away from the life that you want to be living. Check out my eight-week program, Mindful Safeguard, over at recoverlikeamother.com forward slash mindful. Thanks again for listening, and let's get back into the episode. It's all about activism. That is so, it's so important. And again, as a mother who is doing 5 million things, it just becomes one more thing. But really the reality is, is that when you put down the drink, that is your activism. That is the beginning of the activism. And then showing up at a party and asking for sparkling water or just a water. That's your second step in activism. And then engaging in the conversation when somebody says, why aren't you drinking? And you're saying, "Mm, I just don't feel like it. It's not a part of who I want to be. That's the third moment of activism. And so I think if we start with these small little bites, it can become manageable. And then, you know, when our kids are older, when, when we have more space, then we're comfortable in our bodies. And then we can join organizations. We can write letters. We can be a part of things, a movement, so to speak. And and, and I think that is, there is definitely a push towards this and this glamorous, beautiful Instagram motherhood. People are starting to fight back on that as well because motherhood is, it's so messy. Yeah. There is no, it's the opposite to glamorous. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. I know there's this woman really stunning and like classically be, uh, beautiful. And I get so upset because she only shows faux vision, right? She doesn't, she doesn't show all the other stuff that's going on in the background. And I just think that is such a disservice to yeah. mothers and what you represent and I wonder what would happen if you just showed the real you, just, yeah. just show it. Yeah. yeah. Because really... the moms that are struggling, they look at her and they think, oh, I should be like that. Yeah. No, the shoulda, woulda, coulda. It's like they go right in there trying to yeah. compete and compare. And then it's like, oh, I might as well just drink because I, I'm never going to make that. I, I can't yeah. do it. Yeah. It's just, it's this, it's a problem. We need a reset. When the pandemic hit, I thought, oh, good. We're having a reset because we really needed one badly, but I don't think it was, I don't think it reset us enough. I still yeah, think we need yeah. another reset. Yeah. Just yeah. Well here, here in South Africa was quite interesting because they banned alcohol because the hospitals were so full of people with COVID and wow. dying people that they, they banned alcohol and then the hospitals emptied, you know, because usually the trauma departments are so busy here, especially at the weekend with people that have been in car crashes or people in fights. 
that, that there was no room for the patients. So they they stopped the alcohol and then there was there was space. I mean, if, if that's not a demonstration of the harm that alcohol does. That's incredible. That is, yeah. is alcohol now allowed again? Did they open yeah, it back yeah. up? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but I'll send you an article I wrote about that with all the stats. It's quite interesting. It was like a social experiment. Fascinating. Yeah, I could go on about that, but I'm going to leave it right there. So I want to ask, because we're nearing the end of our conversation, and I want to know your top three books, mm-hmm. because our mothers love to read and learn. So what are your top three books? The Naked Mind by Annie Grace. Annie Grace. I think, I think that's the key to everything. We have to start seeing alcohol differently. We have to see it as the poison that it is. Change the relationship Um, with it. Yeah. 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 If, if we think we're missing out on something because we're not drinking, we'll never really thrive in Mm -hmm. our sobriety because of the FOMO. So that's, that's my big favorite. I love um, a book by an English journalist called the unexpected joy of being sober. And I just love the title. I mean, I love the whole book, but I love the title particularly because it sums up my personal journey to sobriety because I certainly wasn't expecting it to be full of joy. I was expecting it to be very drab and boring, actually. So love that book. And the other one is by a lady that I know quite well. It's called The Sober Diaries, Claire Pooley. And actually, I think a lot of your listeners, a lot of mums will love that one. And the story behind it, if I can just tell you quickly, she was a mum. Uh, she was in advertising. She was a partner, you know, very high flat here. And then at home, had three kids, put on a pile of weight, felt depressed, drinking at least seven bottles of wine a week. And then she stopped and she started blogging. And her blog was anonymous and it was, it's called, I mean, it's a great one for mums to read. It's called Mummy Was a Secret Drinker and it's spelled the English way, you know, with the U, not the, so it's, it's a great blog to read. It's still there. And her blog was anonymous and a publisher spotted it because she had a million hits at one point. She writes beautifully. So a publisher spotted it. They, are, they gave her a fantastic deal. They published uh, the book, but they said that now we need, you've got to put your name on it because it's fine having an anonymous blog. But if you want this this book out, we're going to put your name on it. So they did. And she she tells this wonderful story about how she went to the school gates, you know, to get her kids. And she was so embarrassed because everyone was looking at her and saying, oh, she wrote that book. So she had to come out, you know, as a mom with an alcohol problem. And this was a good, you know, 10 years ago. So it wasn't quite as as open as it is now. So that's a beautiful book, The Sober Diaries. Three books. Yeah, Yeah, those are are really, (laughs) all of them are really great. That Sober Diaries, I know a lot of people have talked about that book. And just, I'm thinking about her being completely anonymous and then all the people at the school, but I think there's so much about people are really changing now their sobriety and how they want to be out about it and be public and like uh, eliminate and erase, remove stigma, shame. We can recover, you know, we can, we can recover, we can recover and we can do it with dignity. We can do it with, we can have our heads held up high. And there's something to be said about being absolutely anonymous, but there's also, I think there's more to be said. We're in a time to be out and to show that recovery is possible. 
out and proud. Yes. yes, in fact, Claire Pooley uh, has done a beautiful TED talk about ditching the shame. It's very nice. I'll put that in the show notes. Do you have a meditation practice? You know, I'm going to ask that because that, that's my thing is meditation. So do you have a meditation <laughs> practice? Okay. I've been doing yoga for since I was 20. And it's quite funny because the number of yoga classes I went to with a crushing hangover. Oh, that is the worst. I know that feeling. Okay. So do you, do you pray? Just curious. No, no, no. I'm more into, I mean, that, I guess I was struggling with the higher power, you know, that's one of the, the many things, but I, I'm very into nature. I mean, I live near the sea and I've always wanted to live near the sea. And uh, every day I walk for an hour by the ocean. Uh, and that to me is what brings me peace. And that's my time. Yeah. Yeah. That is your connection. That is, I, I don't really call it like a higher power. I call it my practice. I call it the G-O-D. I call it the universe a lot. Yeah. I get, if you start labeling it, I get a little, it's not religious. I'll put religion on me. I can't be doing with all that control. <laughs> right. Oh, Janet, I loved hanging out with you and getting to know you. Yeah, and I'm okay. really looking forward to hanging out with you more. Yeah. And I would love the ladies, the mothers to be able to follow you and your journey. Where can they find you? tribesober.com beautiful yeah and you're on instagram the podcast is the same name instagram everything is just tribesober tribesober such a brilliant name so easy to remember all right mama i hope you have enjoyed this show may you find something light something bright and something so delicious that fills you up so you can be the best mother i know you can be until next time take good bye for now hey are you trying to overcome burnout. So many people are, you're not alone. And maybe you have perfectionism running through you and ruminating thoughts of how to do something. Maybe you avoid things. I don't know. It gets tricky the longer that we are in recovery. The good news is that I help women in recovery access the life they imagined through a practice of mindfulness. I have an eight-week program eight weeks. That's what it takes to change your life around where you can start living and thriving in your life, the life that you got sober for. If you're burnt out in your recovery and you need a tune up, you want to try something else, check out the mindful safeguard. You can find out more information over at recover like a mother, get on the wait list. It's an eight week program. It opens and closes, and I would love to have you participate because I know that you didn't get sober just to live in mediocrity. No, you got sober to live a life beyond your wildest dreams. All right, I hope to see you in there. Thanks again for listening to the show.